It's really funny to me you said that about my coat. Because just before we started, I asked all these girls on this row right here, I had them come in close, and I said, guys, does Bob ever preach on a Sunday night without his coat? And they all went. <laughs> so I was convicted to wear it at that moment. Uh, but we'll see what happens for the rest, uh, the rest of the week. Our theme, let's make it short and sweet and to the point, it's generational faith. We just want to get to heaven. We want everyone in our family to get to heaven. If you're a parent or a grandparent, God has charged you with souls, beautiful souls, and tasked you with leading them towards that eternity with God. There is nothing more important. I would phrase it maybe even in this way. If you fail at everything you ever try to do in your entire life, but you succeed in being right with God and leading your family to be right with God, you have done all that you needed to do. You think about Noah and the ark and saving his family. That's our target and that's what we're talking about. Now this afternoon I was thinking about those in this group listening to these lessons, studying along, whose children have, at least at this point, drifted away from God. And I know that that's very difficult and painful and you wish that it had gone differently, but just remember, while there is life in you and there is life in them, there is hope. And one of the things you might be able to do going forward throughout this week is share some of these thoughts or lessons with them. And please, please, if you believe it, you have to believe it or it won't work, please communicate with your children if they're drifting that there's only one thing left in your life that matters. They need to know how serious this is, that it's the single thing that you think about more than anything else. And maybe some of our study will help. But like I said, we can't talk to adults who aren't here. That's not part of what we're able to do. A little bit, I guess, with the camera over there, but not really. But what if, what if all the kids here all grew up to be Christians and we all stayed faithful? And while that sounds so easy to do in the moment, it just almost never happens. Churches across this country, maybe we can do better. So we talked this morning in the first session about personal responsibility. Take responsibility for how you can get better and have an effect on them. We talked about personal faithfulness and personal responsibility and personal penitence. And hopefully by your growth, everyone around you will become more godly. That's just the way it works. Then in our second lesson, we talked about marriage a little bit and how that relationship teaches our children what it's like to be in the church. Marriages are designed after the role of the church in Christ. And I gave you that one passage. If you forget every, you may already have. If you have forgotten everything you heard all morning long, please don't forget 1 Peter 3, verses 8 and 9. Just never forget that. Those six things are so crucial. Harmony, sympathy, brotherly kindness, being kind-hearted, humble, and not returning evil for evil. It'll really change every relationship all week long. Everything will change. Remember that and put it into your family. So we're going to continue throughout the week talking about generational faith. So you'll hear that introduction a few more times. But tonight is our last lesson on the family. Now, as we introduce the specific thing we'll be talking about, which, of course, you've heard introduced this morning. Maybe you've forgotten, but let me start with this. In case you have, let me see if I can surprise you. I want to begin by playing a little game. We don't play a lot of games in church, and hopefully your cell phone isn't playing this game right now. But this is one of those kind of popular cell phone games that, you know, these go by. I mean, like the fad length of these very quick. So I'm, these are probably all gone by now. You guys probably don't know what this is. But it's this game that you play where you're given several images and you try to find out what those images have in common and what they share. And then you, you take the letters and you try to 
you know, unscramble it and create a word. So, for instance, you're looking at two hands and a couple of dogs and a drink. Do you think you can figure out what word represents all four of those images? You nod if you got it. No, if you're like, what's happening right now? Like, I don't know where we are right now. Well, you know, probably if you had a chance to think about it a little bit, you think, well, those dogs are shaking and the hands are about to shake and all that. Well, we're going to try that just for a minute before we turn to our principal text. I'm going to give you three images, just three, not four. And you need to figure out what those images have in common and what singular thing they represent. Now, it's set up the same way. It's got five letters in the answer, just like the example you were given. You've got all your little letters down there, and you can figure it out as we go. Here is the first image. Three images, one idea. The first image is a gift. Let me talk about gifts for just a second. Generally speaking, a gift is what someone gives to another person when they care about that person, when they want to do something nice to them. Now, sometimes they're gag gifts, but for the most part, they're things that are thoughtful and caring and kind. They are gifts that are given to the other person for the other person's benefit. And generally, I dig gifts. Gifts are good, like to give them, like to receive them. They are a blessing to the receiver or they would not have been given. At least good gifts are. Got three images. The first one is a gift. Now, the second one. I guess it could technically be a gift. I mean, we have a lot of bow hunters around here. But for the purpose of our illustration, it's its own picture. An arrow. We know about arrows, men in particular. We like tools and we like weapons and maybe we like arrows. Arrows are super useful. You can use arrows to kill something so that you can eat. You can use them to show your skills. But here's the thing. Even if you're given a beautiful arrow, just a perfect arrow, absolutely straight, best built arrow ever, arrows require what? Practice. They require training and discipline. You've got to get out there and fire that arrow over and over again until you know when you let go of that bow exactly where that arrow is going. Some of you guys who hunt, ladies who hunt, you know about that. You practice, you train, you get good at it, and then you go out and you do something useful with it. There's your second image. The third one's actually my favorite, though it may not be your favorite. People either love this or they hate it, but it is an olive plant. I like olives, okay? I'm that person at Thanksgiving. It's got five black ones over here on every finger and five green ones over there, and I'm going back and forth eating them. I'd order the muffalettas, is that what they're called? The big, just basically olives, okay? I love olives. Even if you don't love olives, you can replace it with another kind of plant. But here's the thing about an olive plant. It is a producer. Olive plants, if I want an olive, I reach over and I get one from the olive plant. They consume, you know, you got to water them and you got to give them the fertilizer and help them grow. Maybe it's a fig tree or something else for you, something that you like. But when you're ready to get it, you should be able to get from the tree at least enough to cover all 10 fingertips, okay? Olives. Now, those are your three images. Do you have any idea what in the world I'm talking about here? Any guesses? Give me a nod if you think you might know what we're talking about. Any idea? Well, I'll give you a hint then. Thank you for being honest. I will give you a hint. Would you open your Bible to Psalm 127 and Psalm 128? And let's see if I can help you out just a little bit. We've been reading from Psalm 127, the first couple of verses. We did so this morning. Tonight will be the final time that we visit this psalm for the week, most likely, except maybe some of these titles that we put forth. But look at verse 1. Psalm 127, verse 1. Unless the Lord builds the house, 
They labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchman keeps awake in vain. It is vain for you to do anything, I guess. Rise up early, retire late, eat the bread of painful labors. For he gives to his beloved even in his sleep. Now, we studied that this morning. It means no matter how hard you try, you cannot build a beautiful, successful, godly family unless you let God show you how and help guide you. Keep reading. Behold, children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. How blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be ashamed when they speak with their enemies in the gate. How blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. When you shall eat of the fruit of your hands, you will be happy and it will be well with you. Your wife shall be like a fruitful vine within your house, your children like olive plants around your table. Behold, for thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. All right, that's as far as I can go, as far as tips and strategies and giving you hints go. All three of these words are associated with a child. In a godly family, if God chooses to bless that family with children, God expects you to approach your children with some imagery, some ideas of what they're supposed to be, why they've been given to you, and what you're supposed to do with them. And so when you leave here tonight and you think about that going forward, don't forget these three ideas. It is verse 3, a gift of the Lord. In verse 4, arrows in the hand of a warrior. And 128 and 3, olive plants around your table. So let's talk a little bit about that. That's our focus today. We're going to talk about those three things in the context of productive parenting. Am I doing it right? So I'm going to go ahead and shortcut the lesson for you. If you are doing it right, parents, grandparents... If you're getting this thing done the right way, then when I say gift and I connect that to your children, you shouldn't roll your eyes at me and go, oh, maybe that for a few months when they were five. You ought to be able to associate your child with a gift, not with a penalty, not with punishment, but a gift. When I talk about arrows... And the training and the work that goes into learning how to use that arrow and aim that arrow and release that arrow. And I ask you, oh, so your kid's about to go off to college. How's that going to go? How's that going to go? And you go, I don't know. I don't, I, I don't know what they're going to Well, then you're not doing it right. At least you ought to have this strong sense that you've trained them the right way. And when I ask the question, you've got children at home? Yeah, I've got children at home. Tell me what they produce that makes your home life more godly. People say, what do you mean they produce? I thought children were just consumers. I thought they just bought stuff with my money. They do that. They do that. But if you understand the concept of what you're truly building and growing, maybe you'll look at it a little bit differently. So that's what we're going to do. Won't take us a whole long time to do it tonight, but let's go ahead and get started. Uh, number one, I don't know, we've got a little black thing going over here with the line. That's okay, no big deal. You'll still be able to see it. Number one, children are a gift from God. Let me emphasize a couple of things here for parents, those who are guardians raising children. You are, your kids are God's gift for you. 
God gave you something good, something great. He didn't give you a gag gift. I know sometimes you wonder. He didn't. He gave you a genuine, here you go. This is a blessing to you. Children are a blessing. And it was given for you. This is my favorite thing to talk about all night. So listen carefully to this because we've got some kids here. Maybe my kids will check this out in a couple of days. Children, let's get this clear, are God's gift for you, mom and dad. You are not God's gift for them. Now, we live in a really weird world now. It's a child-centric world, isn't it? It's a world where children in America, they get everything, and everything's about what they want and the kind of education that would make them keep up with everyone else and and the sports and the money and the clothes. And, And parents are running around crazy trying to give kids everything they want. That is not God's plan. Parents are stressed, they're strained, they're broke, they're arguing, and children are standing there with their hands out going, gimme and gimme, like in Proverbs 30, right? Gimme and gimme. Listen to it again. They are God's gift to make you happy. You are not God's gift to make them happy. Now, you guys, sorry, guys. A couple things we got to say tonight you're not going to love. But when I talk to my kids about this, I say, look, guys, I've got some exciting news for you. It's not all bad news, young people. I got some great news. One day you can grow up and God will give you cool gifts. But right now you are that gift. Young person, we're going to talk to some of them tonight. Really going to hit this tomorrow night. If you're a young person and you live with your parents and you're a Christian, you need to get this. You shouldn't be a burden to your parents. You shouldn't be a strain to them. You are a gift that God has given them because God loves them. Help that gift be good. We got to get kids out of the middle of this thing and, well, put parents back in the middle. Okay, let's put God in the middle and then parents and then the kids. How's that sound? That's God's design. And I just think that our, our culture has got it all out of whack. But, you know, there's a responsibility part here for parents, too. It's not just leaving here going, well, point number one, you are God's gift to us, so straighten up. He's also given them to, listen to me, dads, big deal for dads tonight. He has given this gift to you. These children belong to you. They are your progeny. They carry your last name. And we don't have the right to pawn off their care to others. We live in an otherwise kind of weird world where we have preachers that we hire and Bible class teachers and training programs that teach our kids, that raise our kids for us, that teach them what's godly and teach them about the Old Testament books and teach them how to live the right way and dad's off doing his thing and whatever. That is not the way this works. Yes, they're a gift to you and you need to call them out on that all the time. You're God's gift to me, not me to you. But also remember that that means they belong to you. And one of the things that moms and dads need to do better and better all the time is take responsibility for that. To help with this, I'm also going to put a passage that you know really well in the bottom corner here. You see that passage? You can turn there if you'd like, but you know it really, really well. It addresses fathers, but it would include mothers, and I think grandma and grandpa too. Grandma and grandpa, we need you guys on this, okay? We need your help on this. We need you to teach the kids the same thing we're teaching the kids. It's really crucial here. But you know the verse. Fathers, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So when I read about this idea of God gave the gift to me, I just want to underline three words for you. Mom and dad, they are yours. They are no one else's. 
The church doesn't get judged on whether it raises Christian kids. The preacher doesn't get judged on whether he keeps Christian kids interested. We don't answer for your children. The schools don't answer for your children. You answer for your kids. They're yours. They belong to you. Remember that eldership thing in, in Titus chapter 1 where it says, well, this guy can be an elder if his kids are behaving right. If they're not accused of riot or dissipation, what's God saying? He's saying, those belong to you, and you need to take responsibility for them. You know, I was thinking about some Old Testament passages. Sometimes you got to go way back in time to pick up the old stuff that we've lost. And for this point, we're going way back in time, all the way to Deuteronomy and Genesis. So go back, first of all, all the way back to Deuteronomy chapter 6. Teaching our kids how to pray. Teaching our kids how to study the Bible. Teaching our kids how to make the right decisions with their life, with their relationships, with their money, with their health, all that stuff. These are my gifts. I'm responsible to teach that to them, and I can't give that over to anyone else. Deuteronomy chapter 6, you know this passage. It's just so great. In verse, uh, let's pick up in about verse 6. These words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your sons and shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign of, on your hand and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. Mom and dad, he is talking to the parents in the room and so am I. I have to teach my kids. I have to wear the willing and the wording of God, and I have to be the one who takes responsibility for that. We just can't blame anybody else. It's really easy to blame society. You guys ever notice how we like to do that? I've done that too. I don't know. You know, I've tried, and I don't know, you know, but society. Hey, that's your gift we're talking about. You don't throw your gift out in the yard and let everybody else do with it what they want. You take the, if you need to remove that gift from the impacts of society by cutting off things or changing environments, it's worth the move. It's your gift. You take responsibility. Go back a little bit further to Genesis, please. I'm talking about Genesis 18. You've got to love this, verse 19. Genesis 18, verse 19. God chose Abraham. Kind of a special thing, you know. Chooses this guy, Abram. Makes these magnificent promises to him. He says, let me tell you, I'm going to make your name into a great name. I'm going to make you a great nation and give you great land. And ultimately, your family is going to birth the Christ. Like, this is a special selection that I'm making. Why did he choose Abraham? There wasn't even a Hebrew nation at the time. Abraham was the first one. Here's why he chose him. I, verse 19, Genesis 18, I have chosen you so that he chosen him so that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring upon Abraham what he has spoken about him. Now, there are a couple of interesting things about that verse. First of all, God's promises were conditional. Abraham, I want to bless your family unbelievably, really beyond any person that will ever live after you. But it is conditional in verse 19 to you teaching your children about me. I'm not going to make them remember me. You make them remember me. You teach them and you take responsibility. And he was willing to do that. So I guess I just want to say this. And by the way, this is something I'm really working on lately. I need to be more involved in my children's lives. 
I know how it is as men in particular. We work full-time jobs. I travel quite a bit. I'm going to talk Wednesday night, if Lord wills, and we're going to be here Wednesday night. I want to talk about a big eureka moment for me this last year when I realized that all the goals I pursued in 2019 didn't measure up very well with my core values of what mattered most. And this year I've made a lot of cuts. Had to tell a lot of people no already because I need to be more involved in what's going on with my kids. Mom and dad, we can't let the world have them because let me tell you what the devil will do. He'll take them. The devil will take that gift from you. He will take it. and He will do with it what he pleases. And you will lose the blessing that God has given you. So let me show you three things. The first one is you're blessed. Take control of that blessing and preserve it of your own power by the will of God. Now let me go to a second thing. I like this. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior, not only are our children a gift that we can enjoy and take responsibility for, but they're also going to need a lot of training. They're going to need to be shown the right way. The idea of discipline means I've got to show them that there's a wrong way and there's a right way. I mean, if you've ever fired an arrow, you know that there's a thousand wrong places to fire that arrow, right? And there's only really one right place. And so you've got to train and train and practice and practice until you eliminate all these and you zone in here so that when that big buck walks out and it's time to let it go, your confidence is high. In that way, it's the same with children. Let me read a quote from you from a really good book. This guy named Stu Weber wrote a book called Tender Warrior. It's excellent. We've taught it in our Bible classes back home at two or three churches. Listen to this. Here's what Stu Weber writes. As I write these words, I'm looking at three arrows on my desk. They differ from one another. Any archer could see that at a glance. Yet in other ways, they are remarkably similar. They're good arrows, but then again, they're not much better than the archer who notches them on the bow. They're not much better than the smoothness of the release. No matter how finely crafted these arrows might be, accuracy demands a trained full draw and a disciplined release. As I write these words, I'm looking at a picture on my desk. It's a picture of my three sons. I've got four arrows at home. A couple of them, can I tell you that the bow is already kind of about right here? You know what I mean? 18. It won't be long before we see what happens. When dad and mom aren't controlling this anymore, and all the practicing is done in that controlled environment, it's time to let it go. For others, I'm still just kind of finding out how to get that notch right and get it moving. I've got a six-year-old girl at home. That's a really interesting creature. But we're working in a direction where the, there's time. Like, the, you draw that arrow, is like a clock, you know? And you get to a certain point, and then you release it. But when you release it, it's still your arrow, mom and dad. It's just an arrow in flight. It reminds me of uh, old bow hunting. That's the conversation I've had so far. Hey, you hunt, I hunt. Let's talk about hunting. Okay, I like that. I've had fun already this morning. I've got some bow hunters here. You know, in Texas, there was a law. It changed maybe about 10 years ago. and Maybe it's the same here. There's a law that when you go bow hunting, you had to write your name and address on the arrow before you hit the woods. Anybody know why you'd need to do that? You don't have to do that here, right? Maybe you do, maybe you don't. It's not a bad idea. That depends what kind of hunter you are. Now, if you know what you're about to do, you're about to find what you're looking for, and you've trained and practiced, you're going to hit that thing. I think I'd like to write my name on the side of that thing, because just in case I miss the heart by a tiny bit, eventually that buck's going to fall somewhere, and maybe some honest person will find it, and they'll go, wow, that was a pretty good shot. And they'll call, you know, if it's a number, or they'll, they'll send a message to the email, and they'll get back to me if that's what I put on the arrow. 
But you know, that's not really why they had him do it. You guys know that. It was for those wayward arrows that went flying through people's kitchen windows and stuck into their wall. You know, the arrow that went wayward. Who did that? Well, you look on it and you go, Chris Emerson, 24031. Oh, boy. And then they reach out to you and you're buying a new window. Well, listen to me. And I want our young people to think about this, too. We've got some ones that are 16, 17, 18, some who've moved out. It's a really interesting thing, releasing the arrow. Because on one hand, you're kind of on your own now. But on the other hand, you still carry the name of the person who released you. And it feeds back upon them the decisions that you make. And that's why, parents, you need to show them exactly the right way to go to the best of your ability and make it so to give them the best chance because everybody kind of bears responsibility for what happens next. I have to tell you a little bit of a sad story. I gave that little speech at a graduation in Beaumont about six years ago. And all the young people sat there and listened to the idea of the arrows and the names, the kitchen window and the whole deal. One of those ladies, whose, whose father was an elder of the church, had some photos taken of her in a very place she shouldn't have been about two hours after that speech and after the whatever event that she had gone to after her graduation and prom or whatever. The implications of her not listening were hard for her family, for her, for her dad, for his influence. Everybody bore the impact of a wayward arrow. She should have understood. And her parents, of course, had to take responsibility for that. Listen to me, because here's the verse. That's where that word comes in right there. That may happen no matter what you do. And I pray that it doesn't for you guys. But parents, we've got to do our best to show them that there's only one right way to go. You know, children are really interesting. Our kids are all different. Some of them are naturally really, really good, while some of them are naturally... Adverse? I don't know what the word is. Some are easy and some are hard, but all need whatever training necessary to show them the way. And I'm just going to, look, I don't know you guys really well, so I can say this, and you know I'm not coming at you. But I'm just about right here with parents making excuses for why their arrows are wavering all like this and flying all over the room. Toddlers wear out their parents, and parents talk about how tired they are or how they've had a long day. Young kids don't say yes ma'am or no ma'am or show respect and parents just talk about, you know, ignoring it or how they can't make it change. Preteens start testing the waters of irreverence and dad's not even noticing. If we're not careful, by the time the arrow's released, everybody's relieved. Just go away. They want to get out of there and I'm tired of holding the string. Let's do better than that. Let's not make excuses. And there are seven great verses with this. Are you guys familiar with the seven great discipline verses? They're all found in the book of Proverbs. Can I show them to you in quite quick succession here? Go with me to the last one first, Proverbs chapter 29. If you would like to sit down with your family, with your kids, and communicate to them why there are going to be a few changes in the coming weeks, why we're going to start saying you want to make some changes and you are sorry for what you've done, but we're going to make some changes, then take them to these verses and show them why we're about to make these changes. Here's something you can do if you have a pen or a pencil and you're not afraid to write in your margins. You could link all these together. I'm going to start with the last one, then take you back to the first one and walk you through. And if you write down the next verse and then you create a link and all you have to do is find one and you find all seven. So there's a little tip. Look in chapter 29, verse 15. The rod and reproof give wisdom, but a child 
who gets his own way brings shame to his mother. That's what I was just talking about. They're getting their own way. They've made their way into the center of the family. Everybody kind of caters to them and makes excuses for them. The text says, first of all, if he gets his own way, it's shameful to the family because they're not able to train. And by the way, he who gets his own way eventually will naturally go his own way. Does that make sense? Did I say that right? I can say that again. If he gets his own way at home, when he leaves, he's going to go his own way as well. That's the way it works. So what we want to read here is whatever rod is needed, whatever reproof, and I'll talk more about that in a minute, because God has a better plan for us. Go with me back. You would, by the way, in your margin here, if you want to do so, you'd write chapter 3, verse 12 right there. We're going to loop it all the way back around to Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 12. Let's go quickly with these. For whom the Lord loves... Whom the Lord loves, Proverbs 3.12, He reproves, even as a father corrects the son in whom he delights. Remember I mentioned this this morning, and we're going to talk a little bit about it at the end of the lesson tomorrow night. But remember, mom and dad, even grandparents, guardians, what you're doing with your, the way you're disciplining your kids is you're teaching them this is the way it is with God. I have to be consistent with you just like God is with you. When you grow up and you become a Christian and you move out on your own, God is going to expect you to walk a certain way. And if you don't walk that way, you're going to miss out on the blessings. And if you continue not walking that way, you're going to lose everything. Is that true, by the way, as Christians? Have I lost you yet? I think that's the way it is, right? When you're an adult on your own, if you do exactly what God says, you get blessed. If you stop doing what God says, you lose the blessings. If you keep disobeying, you lose everything. True? True. So here's what I have to teach my kids. I'm going to discipline you in a way that gets you ready for that. I want you to be ready for that. If I let you have whatever you want and I just get all worn out and I stop disciplining altogether and I just kind of, you know, we go our separate ways. And then I mentioned it to you this morning. Here's my kid going off to college. I'm like, hey, son, by the way, what we did, none of that's going to work with God. Like none of that. I mean, it's basically the opposite of everything we've done the last three years. How am I kids supposed to be Christians? They're not going to be able to be. They wouldn't know what it meant to be one. Unless the standard at home taught that. So that's the idea of Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 12. Now, if you're keeping notes here, you'd mark 1324. You'd write down right there, chapter 13 and verse 24. I'm feeling a lot of pressure, by the way, because if you're using a pen and I mess up, yikes. Okay, so I'm feeling a lot of pressure. I'm being careful. Chapter 13, verse 24. He who withholds his rod hates his son. It's an interesting word. New American Standard. I'm reading from that. But he who loves him disciplines him diligently. That word diligently means consistently and early. When I was raising our, our, when our first two were younger, we started something that we continue with our second two. And that's when it comes to discipline, early plus often equals less. You may wonder when you're going to get the outcome of that equation. You're like, I don't know why he said that. That's not true. It is true. But you've got to stay early and often, early and often, early and often, first time every time, keep working it, and eventually it happens less. Now, in 1324, it talks about withhold his rod, hates his son. I'm going to say something that's probably slightly controversial now. If you disagree, it's okay. It's not important that you agree with me, only that you admit that I'm correct. I understand that 1324 can include physical punishment. Pops. All right? Sorry, guys. I'm going to try to help you out in a minute. Hang with me. 
I understand that. Physical punishment, I was raised that way. I know all about that. I do not believe it is the demanded source here. Let me explain. In chapter 13, verse 24, is the rod literal or is it figurative? Well, if you're a parent, you think it's physical, uh, you know, literal. And if you're a child, you clearly you think it's figurative. But the point is this. You have to teach this child that in this particular moment we're sharing, there is only one acceptable outcome. You know, like God and stuff. How you get them to conform to that outcome, I think is unique with every child. I mentioned today, I was at Johnson's house. I've got four kids. I honestly, it's going to sound really weird. Not the same thing for my wife, by the way. I can't remember the last time that I physically spanked any of the four kids. I have a really bad memory, though. It may have been two days ago. I don't know, but it probably wasn't. But I can remember very clearly the discipline that has been inflicted in the last seven days. Maybe it's physical. Maybe it isn't. Because I got to tell you, we've got that thing on. Pause it. There's a family at our church that just beats the fire out of those kids. I mean, whips them up and down. And you can hear them back there. They can close every door back to that nursery. And you can hear the glass shaking, all right? They've been beating on those kids for two years. The kids are worse. They, I don't know what happened. The polarity switch, I don't know what's going on. They get worse. You really got to go back and get that out of there. You really do. You know what? You're doing it wrong. That's not what's working. Find what's working. I just have to connect with my children in a way that teaches them that's got to be right. Because, by the way, I think that's the way it is somewhat with God as well. Uh, God doesn't always kind of whip you with things, with punishment, but He's got a way of getting you to focus on the need to change. He knows every person. Let's keep going. Chapter 19, verse 18. 19, 18. 19, 18. Discipline your son while there is hope and do not desire his death. Now, I meant to bring up here an ESV and a New King James, but I forgot to get all that together. Your translation may be wildly different on chapter 19, verse 18. Discipline your son while there is hope and do not desire his death. There are a couple of interpretations here. One of them is you keep disciplining him because, you know, don't let your tears stop you. He's not going to die because of these spankings. That may be the idea there. It's just not the way that I interpret it. The way I interpret it is discipline your son while you have the opportunity to shape who he's becoming. And the rest of the verse would talk about that you do not want him to spiritually die. That's the way I read it from this version. You may read it differently. I've got to, I've got to give this soul a chance. And if the arrows are wobbling now, what are they going to be like when they're not still in the bow? We have to be serious about this. Chapter 22, verse 16. Proverbs 22 and verse 16. And then we'll get to our last observation. 22. It's 22. No, 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 no. It's 22.6. 22.6. Sorry. Sorry, pen people. You know, they're little penny racers. 22.6. Thank you. Train. You know this one. You know this one. You probably knew it already. Train up a child in the way he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now, you know that that's a a basic sense of wisdom that is not always the case. Sometimes they do depart from it. But I'll tell you this. I tell this all the time when parents come up to me and say, I really thought I raised them right. And yet they've gone. I always say, you know, if you really did raise them right, if you are being serious, you really did it right. You built a concrete foundation under them that the devil cannot break up. And they may throw dirt on it and mud on it and do everything they can to cover it up. But it will always be in their life. And one day some big 
thunderstorm is going to come through and wash all the mud away. And the only thing that's going to be left is the foundation that you laid. I think that's the idea of this verse. If we do this right, we put something in place that the world cannot take away. Maybe they'll find it again and we pray that they will. You could also pick up here along the way, 2215. 2215 would fit in the cycle. Foolishness is bound up in the heart of the child. The rod of discipline will remove it far from him. For my corporate punishment friends, they really like this verse. You may be right. Sorry, guys. The next verse is 2313. 2313, very similar. 2313, do not hold back discipline from the child. Although you strike him with the rod, he will not die. Okay, that was the one I was thinking of. That's really not, not great for you guys. But I'll tell you this. I'm still convinced when you put 23, 23.15 with, or pardon me, let me get back to it. 22.15, foolishness is bound up in the heart of the child. 22.15, and you put that with 23.13. If it's physical rod, it's physical. If it's something else, it's something else. But the foolishness has got to go. The foolishness has got to go. Now, listen, I preached it this morning. First of all, mom and dad's got to be willing to get the foolishness out of themselves as well. It starts there. It always starts there. But as you do so, expect the same from your children. So let's get to our last point here. Those verses, hopefully, by the way, your last one would be, take you back to the beginning, 29, 15, and you have your cycle there. Last thing I want to say here. Children are God's gift to us and for us, and we're responsible for them. And it's supposed to be pleasant. They are arrows that we're training that one day we will have to release. And then thirdly and finally, I like this from Psalm 128. The text says in verses 2 and 3, they're like olive plants around your table. We talked about this earlier. I don't think this is necessarily the invention of Christian families that are kind of making mistakes. I just think it's what it's like now that we live in this century, in this country. Consumption is the name of the game, and teenagers have been targeted. In fact, those younger than teenagers have been targeted to consume. It's a multi-billion dollar industry that kids consume stuff. 16-year-old boys consume lots of stuff, lots of tacos. But they also go through shoes very quickly, and they need new clothing fairly regularly, and they consume. And sort of this idea that teenagers, their job is to take their parents' money and go buy things. I mean, multi... That, there we go. I got an amen from the young man over here. They consume... And that's okay. You know, that's kind of the way that it's built. But look at the text again. That is not God's plan. God's plan is not just for children to be consumers. There'll be some of that. There has to be. But the goal is for you to be a producer, for children to provide something that contributes to the goodness of the home, that contributes to the spirituality in the home. It can't all be mom and dad, and we have to train them with that expectation. And that's where I come in with our last word right there, instruction. Young people, we need to talk. My kids, by the way, I was telling somebody earlier, my kids, I gave up spanking my teenagers a long time ago because if they do something wrong, they got to sit on the couch with dad. For a long talk about biblical principles and where they fit in this family and the fact that you're a gift to me, not me to you. We go, oh, they're like Psalm 127 again. Yep. Because you need to learn that God expects you, especially young people who are Christians, it's time to start becoming something that your family can begin to draw from. Begin to draw. What do we got going on? I'm sure it's nobody in this family here, this local church, but we've got these kids, man, these boys. I don't know what's going on with our boys. 
We got the boys, get through high school, they're living at home, they float in and out of community college, making C minuses, they continue to live at home. Now they're in their early 20s. Turns out nobody told them that you probably can't get an income from playing 2K, which is a video game on sports. And it turns out that, you know, not every town is hiring a game designer. And they're in their early 20s, their mid-20s, and all they're doing is nothing but consuming. They're still eating, they're still drawing, and parents are still just giving and giving. You know, we're like, 30 is the number. Guys, like 10 is the number. Like 10. Eight. Okay, maybe like 12 or 14, but that's as far as I'm going. You know, we're baptizing these kids around 12 or 14, aren't we? It's time to start producing. You're a part of this thing now, too. Kids are 30. They're not kids. We've got to change the narrative here and instruct them. It's a really interesting word, by the way. Bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. You know, it's used only a couple times in the New Testament. And I'll just mention those to you really briefly. In Titus chapter 3, which isn't about parenting at all, but in Titus chapter 3, it's about the guy who's, who's you know, in sin and he's, he's a distraction and he's dividing. And it says that you go to him and you warn him. You need to warn this man that there are consequences for his behavior. That's Titus chapter 3, verse 10. Hey, man, we need to talk. There are consequences for your behavior, like now. Like, you got to change the stuff you're doing because what you're doing matters. And if you keep doing what you're doing, then it's going to blow the whole thing apart. That's this word. I think we need to sit down with some of our young people and say, okay, look, I need to warn you about something. There are consequences for only being a consumer. For not doing things that are kind in the home. For not doing things that are service-filled in the home. For not being a part of our spiritual growth. There are going to be consequences later, and there are consequences now. This word is also used in 1 Corinthians 10. You guys remember in 1 Corinthians 10 where it talked about how the story of Israel was written? It said the story of Israel was written for our what? For our instruction. That's our word. And you know what? It wouldn't be a bad idea, mom, dad, grandma, and grandpa, if you want to get a better handle on this. It wouldn't be a bad idea to sit down with your teen that's going through some things right now or your eight-year-old that's bouncing off the walls all the time and just go ahead and pull the full move on them. You know what the full move is? The absolute full tilt far as you can go? Like, actually sit down and open your Bible with them. Like, I know you're eight. I got one of those. But you know, God has some stuff to say about the way you behave and what that means. You're 15, or my son is 16. Luke, listen, man, let's sit down. Let's just talk about this a minute because you're 16 and you're a Christian, man. Look, we need to talk about some of what God says here about what you're supposed to be. Not become, but be, like now. Those kind of conversations show respect, by the way, for these, for your children, for their intelligence and their ability to understand. That's what we need to do. One more thing. Let's finish this deal. Go back to Psalm 128. One more thing I would say about this, this idea of really instructing them to be producers, really helping them contribute. Number one, you need to warn them about consequences, Titus 3. Number two, sometimes you just got to get that book open and be like, look, this is it. But you know, there's one more thing as well. In Psalm 128 and verse 1, how blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. That guy has great wife, verse 3, and great kids, verse 3, because verse 4, thus shall the man be blessed who fears the Lord. Mom and dad and dads in particular, don't forget that stronger than all the lectures, 
Stronger than all the cell phones you take away. Stronger than all the threats. Stronger than everything that you... Stronger even sometimes than the verses you read on the page is what? Your actual example. The things that you are doing. I got to tell you, I was one of those dads. I feel terrible about this. I'm working on it. Okay, I'm still a little bit one of these guys. Or I'm laying there on the couch watching the game, and I'm like, Luke, go do the dishes. Luke's like, what do you mean go do the dishes? I'm like, hey, you're a producer. You go to, hey. And I give him the whole speech again. You know, olive tree. I'm not, I use these images all the time at home. And, you know, I've got the right to do that. But, you know, it'll be a little bit better than that. Hey, Luke, get up, man. Let's go knock out these dishes for mom. You may want to write this down. Producers produce producers. I think that makes sense. Producers produce producers. That's the way it works. That's the way it's always worked. So I hope that you read passages like this in Psalm 128 and, and even going into Psalm 129 and these great blessings that are mentioned in this story because God has a terrific plan for our families. And if we get this right... If we get this right and we really work on this while we have a chance and and we advise parents and the church on this, we're going to raise kids that are a blessing every year. They're always a blessing. And when they leave, we're proud that they're carrying our name. You guys can make us so proud. You can make us so proud by the way you carry the name of Jesus with you and also your family's name. And you will begin to make a difference in every life of at least people who love olives. You will. Every life for people who have a need. Isn't that awesome? Like, I'm going to call that Christianity. I need to give that a name. I'm going to call that Christianity right there. That's who we want to be. That's who we want to raise. If we can help families with that, we want to be an encouragement to you. And as we get through this week, we're going to move away from the family a little bit. But just be thinking about some things you can converse about in your home. If you feel like you need the encouragement of these elders to pray over you, or you need people here to show you the way, or you're ready to kind of pour out your bucket on where you're failing, you can always come forward and get that, that support. And if you're not a Christian mom and dad, if you're not a child of God, do your kids the single best favor possible and show them what it takes to become a Christian. You can do no better. If we can help you, come now as we stand and sing.